Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good good evening to those who are listening this evening. Now, for three weeks, we've been discussing extramarital affairs. How common are they? What are some of the common causes of affairs? What are some myths about affairs? And in this episode, we're going to wrap all of that topic up by talking about overcoming an affair and moving forward. But before we get back to that topic, Pastor, if you remember, at the end of last week, we had a WhatsApp question from a listener who was wondering about whether they should get a paternity test done. And they sent this week a follow-up or a clarification question to make sure that they understood you correctly. So here is the question. We have a man and his wife. And we also have two other women, woman A and woman B. He had an affair with woman A and has admitted this to his wife. Both he and his wife want to restore their marriage. Woman B is now pregnant and has told another person in confidence that the father of the child is the man in our question, but he says that he's never had an affair with her. Word got back to this man's wife that he is the alleged father of this unborn child. Now she is wanting him to get a paternity test done to determine whether this is his child. Should he confront woman B to have a paternity test done? Uh, Well, let me uh, be very clear on this matter. If the Number B, which is the second person that um, is reputed to have had an affair with this gentleman, uh, she is claiming that the child is his. The the the, the, uh, the wife has gone back to the wife that she's making this claim, and in attempt to become reconciled, she's requesting that the paternity test be done. Um, in my judgment, I think that uh, if I were in this gentleman's position, I would confront the second person. And um, for the sake of my own marriage, uh, I would um, request that somehow we could, if we could get a, a paternity test. Of course, this complicates matters even further because the let's suppose he's not the father of the child, and the real father of the child learns that she has a paternity test to verify that it, it's a, it's not another person's um, child. I think it creates a great problem. But if the wife is insisting uh, that a paternity test be done, and for her sake, conscience sake, and you know, for her to have some measure of relief in regards to this matter, 
I would recommend to the gentleman uh, that he pursue it and if it is possible try to secure the test because it alleviates a lot of problems number one you can say that you did not uh, commit adultery with her but you committed adultery with somebody else tell me on what basis then should she doubt should she believe that the other person was not involved and since the other person is claiming that you're the father how in the world that, that does that relieve her conscience that you're not um, the, the real father of the child so I just think, you remember, you created the problem. She didn't create the problem. Um, and it's a choice that you made. Uh, you might have had under, underlying problems within the marriage that it might have kind of pushed you in that direction. But it's immaterial. You're the one who have committed the offense, and you're the one that needs to clear up the offense. And if you really love your wife and she loves you and you want the marriage to be restored, and this is the condition that she's laid down, um, personally, I, I would do everything in my power to uh, reassure her and if the paternity test is necessary, uh, I would pursue that. Pastor, as we move forward and as we attempt to wrap up this topic and close up any loose ends that we've left, what advice would you give to a faithful partner during the recovery process of an affair? Well, let me say to the uh, faithful partner, there's no doubt that there's deep pain, deep anguish, uh, great deep, deep dis- disappointment, the feeling of betrayal, uh, the breakdown of trust, uh, infidelity always complicates life, and no doubt you're hurting deeply. But let me uh, offer some good some advice to you. Uh, the first thing I would say to you is that don't make a quick decision to end the marriage. Okay, the temptation is that you're so disappointed, you're so distraught, you're so overwhelmed, so disappointed with the person that you've put so much trust in. You begin to question his character, you begin to question your own self-worth, and this devastates you deeply. Uh, Take some time and uh, do some the hard work of trying to understand what's behind the infidelity and the fear. and sometimes, by the way, you might need to give yourself some time to get away from the situation. If you've got a sister that is nearby, it may be advisable for a time for you to really focus in on this matter to clear your mind and try to understand what really happened. Uh, you might need a temporary separation. Now, be very careful about the separation because if people, when they begin to realize they can exist without the partner, uh, mm-hmm. it cements the fact and hardens them about bringing the relationship back together. But if the coming home and seeing the same person, talking to the person, is creating uh, this mental fix within you that um, you're just confused, you're just pain, you're just hurting, uh, you're constantly demeaning yourself, and uh, you might need to get away for a little while to really process this whole thing. But what I'm saying to you is uh, don't make a quick decision that because you've been hurt deeply that you're going to terminate the marriage. Try to understand what was behind your fear. And uh, perhaps if there's any contributory factor in your own life that could have led along this road. Um, While you're going through this experience uh, um, that has devastated you and the intense sadness that you feel, I would suggest to you that you try to, uh, in spite of everything, try to take care of your basic needs. There's a tendency, first stop, to stop eating. Uh, You can't sleep. 
if you were doing exercise, you give up that exercise, etc. Um, sometimes you're under so much stress, you might need some guidance and stress management. But uh, whatever is happening to you, uh, try to understand that you will never be able to process this whole whole matter and be able to deal with it as you should. If you don't, at the same time, try to meet your basic needs for food, sleep, and some kind of exercise if you're doing that. That clear, clears up the mind. So don't neglect your own personal health because you're going through this crisis. Um, uh, when you begin to talk to your, your partner um, and the path to recovery, um, there are questions that you would want some details about uh, with your partner. You want some details about the affair. Um, you have to deal with the, the problem of your own value because no matter what happens in the relationship, you are going to find that you are going to devalue yourself because the tendency is to think that the person has something you don't have uh, or the person is more attractive than you are or something that he wants that you haven't been able to give. And that causes you to really, really have a demeaning concept of yourself. So you're going to have to grapple not only with understanding the details of the fear, but the impact is having upon you as an individual. So you're going to have to deal with your own uh, valuation. And then your, your your husband's character or the, your wife's character is going to be one thing that will bother you after you've had an affair. Um, uh, have they been hypocrites, uh, untruthful, dishonesty, cover-up? Uh, so you had this person on a pedestal, and now, to your great surprise, it's knocked, uh, knocked you down uh, completely. That's something you're going to have to grapple with. How can uh, you, once again, have a, a good concept of his character? And then um, the other thing is, what have you looking at the whole thing, look at it very objectively. Have I really in any way contributed towards this uh, thing? Have I been overworking so that I can't meet my husband's legitimate needs? Um, uh, have I been putting things as a priority that I should have put towards the marriage? Uh, you know, there's so many different factors that come into this whole thing. But try to see if there's any contributory thing that you, you made along that line. Um, ask your husband for transparency. Okay, that when you begin to question about the relationship of your marriage and the affair, you want honesty and you want transparency. Um, I would also suggest to you that uh, you need to turn to God uh, to deal with an issue like this. Um, in your own self, ask God to search your heart and try to find your unique identity and worth and value in your relationship with Christ as a child of God. Um, the other thing I would say to you that um, you will need some friends and family to support you. But let me warn you, uh, the tendency is to want to isolate yourself and to be alone and to withdraw. This is a time that you need people who care about you and who can help, uh, help you uh, process this pain. Let me say to you, seek same-sex friends during this particular time. This is a, you're very vulnerable. And if you're turning to a person, if you're female, you're turning to a male, you're very vulnerable that the affair pushes you in the direction there. So be very, very cautious. If you're a man, try to find a, a good male friend that you can talk to and download this thing to. Don't uh, turn to a female who is going to sit and listen to your, to your problems, etc., etc. Uh, this has a way of 
creating a more complex problem because the person has gone into fear, the other person is seeking for help. You turn to a person of the opposite sex, and before you know it, you develop some emotional attachment because they're listening to your problem, sympathizing with your problem. So this is a time to seek same-sex friends, okay? I'm not talking same-sex relationships, <laughs> <laughs> same-sex friends, but uh, be very much aware that this is a, a, a trap that you can, because you're vulnerable, you can fall into, so you don't want to find yourself in that situation. But how do you know how much you should unload and how much, where that line is between just find, sharing your your heartache and it becoming an unnecessary gossip or just trying to find someone that's going to side with you? Well, I would say to the person, uh, you need to find an objective person, uh, not just a friend that is your friend and always take your side. Uh, you, you, would, you would know that there are people that uh, will always be on your side. Um, no matter what happened, you've seen that happen in the past. That's not the person you turn to. You've got other friends that will tell you as it is. And uh, even though your friends, it's very, very clear that these people have a steady head. They're very objective, very, very sincere at the same time. Uh, I think that's the type of person you should turn to. Be very uh, cautious of how much information you give about what happened uh, in the relationship. As your husband begins to download uh, to you, because... Uh, you will have questions about the affair, uh, and he ought to be very honest with you when the affair started. What's the timeline so you can understand the trajectory of the affair? And it may help you to go back in your history when it began to happen to see what was going on during this period of time. Maybe uh, maybe I was negligent. Maybe, uh, you know, you try to find out exactly. Something must have been going. Did I pick it up? Uh, this is important because if he has been able to deceive me and I couldn't pick up anything during this long period of time, he's a con artist. He's very good at and adept at this problem. So you need to be aware of it. If, on the other hand, when he begins to give you this timeline and you can project, oh, yes, I, I picked up this and I picked up that, uh, it becomes um, red lights that can help you in the future if there, you, you have a tendency in that direction again. I think the husband should give you as much detail as you uh, desire. However, I think when it comes to the actual sexual activity going on between him and this person, he can give information that can devastate a wife. So that part of it, I think, should be uh, uh, should be very, very minimum. But in terms of how it started, how long it's been going on, I think those are proper things that your wife ought to know. But when it comes to the details about the intimacy part of it, uh, uh, you've got to be very, very careful because you set these images up in her mind now and uh, it's very, very hard to get those images out. So just be very honest, but uh, be very uh, careful about the sexual details of what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. But she ought to know what happened, when it happened, how it happened, et cetera, et cetera, and try to be as honest and as transparent as possible uh, with her. Um, the other thing I would suggest to you is that... Um, Learn and try to practice the biblical doctrine of forgiveness. This is maybe a time for you to do your own Bible study on the biblical doctrine of forgiveness. Get a concordance, get a uh, uh, a Bible, or, or get a book that deals with this matter. Maybe go through the back of your Bible if you've got one that has an index. But it may be a time for you now to begin to study the whole whole matter of the biblical doctrine of forgiveness, and uh, because you have to process on 
releasing the anger, the pent-up frustration that is there, the resentment, the bitterness is there. And the only way you will ever be able to lance that bitterness and that anger and that frustration is forgiveness. Without that, it, it, it can turn you into a monster and it can make your spirit so mean and your whole personality become warped. So um, focus on forgiving your spouse and remember that forgiveness is something that you choose to do. It's not something that anybody can drag out of you. It's a choice that you make, that you're not going to seek revenge, you're not going to hold bitterness, and that you're not going to call up the past after you've accepted the uh, the person's confession and uh, they've asked for forgiveness. So I think those six things basically should be helpful to the person who has been faithful and uh, who has been hurt in the process. I would just suggest that um, you try to work on those six things. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org, and also on Facebook Live. When was the last time you encouraged someone to listen to the program, That's Truth? Are you being encouraged by the program? Have you been learning things? that have bettered your Christian walk. And let me encourage you to encourage others to listen to the program. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can comment your question on the Facebook Live video feed. Pastor, let's flip the tables now and talk about the guilty party. How can the guilty party help to speed up the recovery process? Well, I think the guilty party has to realize that regardless of uh, what contribution his, he might feel that his partner has, uh, has helped in creating this process, uh, this infidelity, I think he has to come to the point where he is willing to acknowledge uh, that he's caused tremendous devastation, and in spite of what his wife might have done or his her husband might have done, uh, we make choices, and uh, nobody f- pushes us uh, into doing anything that is scripturally and biblically wrong. It's a choice that we made. So it has to come to a point where there's an acknowledgement of this matter. And let me just say as well that uh, this road to recovery is not going to be easy. Um, what the guilty party needs to understand that they need to come to a point of brokenness and remorse and humility and confession and be willing to uh, to do virtually whatever is required to restore the marriage to some kind of a, uh, a good relationship. Uh, let me suggest some things, uh, practically. Number one is you've got to end the affair completely. Uh, and what I mean by that, you've got to stop all contacts with the other person. That means face-to-face meetings, text messages, phone calls. What if you work with them? Uh, well, that may be a little bit more complicated, uh, I, unless you change your jobs, but that, that, that may not be practical at this point in time. Um, but the thing is that you have to end the relationship, uh, especially if there's still some, even though there may not be some sexual activity going on with the person, there's still this romantic attachment. Your partner is going to have difficulty uh, wanting to bring you back in, into their life and restore the marriage as long as they feel that there's either a sexual um, um, 
relationship going or an emotional relationship going. So it's important that you make sure that this thing is totally cut off and is well, the workplace is a difficult one, but other than the workplace where you have to uh, maybe interact, uh, if it's not a workplace, it must be complete, no contact whatsoever, and your partner must be assured that there's no contact there either by phone or message or whatever it is. Uh, if the choice is between getting a new job and salvaging my marriage, or if the only option is to... If my spouse says you have to get a new job in order for us to salvage the marriage, do you think that's a an unfair thing for the spouse to say? Look, I, I, I can say to you that my wife is more important than my job. Amen. My wife is uh, my children more important than my job. Yeah. I think if my wife I had broken trust with her and I had found myself in a fear with a, per- a person working in the same office, and my wife said, "Dave, you know, um, I really can't deal with this thing because." I know it's you telling me that it's all over, but you're seeing this person every day, and the fact that you had um, you had a, a, a relationship with her before, the possibility it can it can spring again. Uh, you can cut off the tree, but if the root is not dealt with, and if she insisted that I try to find uh, another means of employment, I will tell you what I would do. I would try to do that because. I value her, I value my home, I value my kids, and uh, and I can see the danger as well. I mean, anybody can see the danger. Once I've been in, involved with somebody emotionally and sexually, there is an attachment, there's a chemistry there somehow, and so if that can be done, it may be possible to be done, yeah. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yeah, good night, good night. Good night, sir. Uh, Pastor Murphy. Yes, please. I have to talk question to you. I don't sure, go ahead. Um, go ahead. You know the Bible talk about a man partaking, not to not partake nothing a woman where neither a woman where nothing partaking to a man. I'm not too sure. I'm f- getting. Huh? Repeat that again, please. Imagine not where nothing partaking to a man. Neither a man where nothing partaking to a woman. Oh, a man you mean you talk apparel? You talk apparel now, wearing garments? Yes. Uh huh. Uh, having like like that that, that man um, mad yeah you know mad at action movies with woman dress and dress and things uh, it and giving up feeling and we're having a hard time your phone seems to be uh, the volume going in and out uh, can you repeat the question please Okay, let me move out outside to get a better, a better. Okay, yeah, that, that that sounds a lot better as you're putting your mouth closer. Okay, you hear me? You hear me better now? Yes, yes, yes. 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 Uh, like I mean, yeah, you know, my daughter has some movies with dressing a woman dress and woman clothing, and mm. you know, he forgot to be a pastor. So I hear the pastor preach about it and saying it is wrong from when to a woman. A woman wearing pants, going to church and things. Uh, so, what is your view on that? Well, <laughs> let me just say this: I, I, I personally, am not a fan of pants. Women wearing pants. I must tell you that honestly. I think that uh, personally, I think that depending on the type of pants that is used, I think it's very, very suggestive, and it's very, very difficult for a man to concentrate 
with a woman, uh, if he's behind her and she is standing and depending on her contours of her body, depending on how she wears the pants, etc., etc., I think it's a distraction personally. But I would like to say that a woman's pants is not a man's pants. Okay, they're two different things altogether. Uh, the tendency today is seen to be in the direction where women are feeling much more comfortable wearing pants for whatever reason. Uh, and I think that men are becoming a little bit more desensitized in the sense that it's, it's not making a big issue like it used to be. Uh, but for me, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Um, I hope that our church doesn't move in that direction. Uh, I really think that. Um, uh, I, there's nothing more decent than a woman having a proper dress, uh, a decent dress, and especially the modesty that's displayed uh, in church. I think that's, that's vital. I think there should be a difference between how I dress when I go to work and how I dress when I'm at home and how I go to church. I think we ought to show tremendous respect uh, to God. You know, there's an interesting verse in the Old Testament where a woman could not come on the altar because the Bible says she would expose her shame uh, on the altar and with offense to God. That's a that's a that's a, a verse that troubles me. Uh, that even in the Old Testament, when they had these long flowing gongs, that even she was not supposed to approach and get on the altar because it would be exposing her shame to God. Uh, I I just think that there's something modest that need to be practiced in church, and I think yeah. ladies need to be reevaluate this whole thing. Now they might look. Let's face face it. Nobody likes to see veins on a woman's foot. No one wants to see veins like that. Sometimes they're a little bit on the fat side, and sometimes the smooth body that they used to have, they don't have it anymore. Yeah. And they're very conscious, and they want to look nice. And they, I can't blame them for that. They want to look nice. But I think they've got to be very, very careful uh, if they are going to wear that kind of a thing. Wear something loose. Don't wear something so tight that it's very clear that you had to jump from the roof and uh, jump right into it because one, one wonders how you got into it. <laughs> I mean... This is something that I don't know why women would, would, would do that. But the other thing I would say to women is, I, I've said this on the program many times, men are attracted to sight, what they see. Uh, women touch. And uh, somehow women don't understand that we are triggered by what we see. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, could, that can affect us in, in the way that we think. When we come to church, we want to be able to concentrate on God. We don't want somebody to walk through the, the, the church door and then everybody eyes turn on the person because... Uh, they've got what you call their sexy. That's not what we want in church. We want people to, that when they come to church, they focus on God and glorifying God. And we don't see people per se. Our whole focus is on serving God and living for God. Women need to ask themselves, am I distracting from uh, worship of God? If I am, I need to curtail whatever I'm doing. So I, I'm not a fan of it. But at the same time, I recognize the difference between a male pants and a female pants. And uh, in our church, we don't encourage it. And uh, up to this point in time, uh, we don't recommend that our people in our church would, would use uh, the pants. I don't know if 10 years from now, it'll become so bizarre the way women dress that a pants would no longer have any significance because we've gotten so adjusted to the changes, I don't know down the line, but well, I well, we don't continue. Sure. When I get saved, I get saved. Uh, I'm a Baptist. Yeah. Baptist church. Yeah. And we don't preach that. We don't. We don't tolerate that. I yeah. never see a woman wear church pants in in church. But now when I talking to a lady, they tell me about oh, now it's modern time. Yeah. So the modern time now. What happens when the Bible changes? Yeah. The Bible still the Bible. No matter modern time and change time and what the Bible see the Bible everything for that yeah. I'm not even supposed to preach yeah 
Yeah. What, what we try to do in our church is to have high standards for our leaders. For example, um, I don't think, I can say this off the bat, any person that is a, a take, taking a leadership role in our church, uh, we would be concerned about the, the, the modest, that they accept to find modesty in the dress. But I, I really think that it's becoming a point where we, it's going to become very common in the future. I, I can see it already. It's very common in American churches. Uh, the, the, not a, a, uh, the people don't deal with those kind of issues. Whatever happens in America eventually gets down here, and we adjust to it because we already got it on television. And by the time uh, five or ten years we've seen it on television, uh, it becomes almost normal to, to expect it, and then it's, it suddenly uh, comes into our situation, and then we adjust to it. But I don't, I don't recommend it. On the other hand... I, I don't, um, I'm not going to make a war over it. Uh, when I say that, I try to concentrate on a person's spiritual life as opposed to the outward man. And, uh, you know, you, you take, you go to some churches in, in the States, you know, um, people no longer use ties. Uh, you know, they just come to church before, they used, used ties, jackets, etc. People are becoming far more casual now. I'm not too sure that's a bad thing. Uh, because, you know, there was a time when people wouldn't even come to church because they weren't too sure they had to clean clothes that were proper to come to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there needs to be some balance somewhere. But modesty remains the standard for the, the ladies and the men in the church. And by the way, men can be immodest as well. Yeah. Very, very immodest uh, as well. So they, they'd have to look at themselves as well, uh, even when they come to church. You know, they come to church with the church open down to the belly button, showing that they got hair in the chest, you know, the macho. Uh, that is not proper either for males. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? Yeah, okay. Thank, Thank you. you. God Thank bless you very much for the call. We appreciate it. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program, and we are looking forward to your interaction with us tonight on the program. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8 p.m. We have one hour left in the program, plenty of time for you to send in your question or call in with your question. You can call and be put live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 1- Two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor, you were discussing how the guilty party can help to speed up the recovery process, and you were talking about the importance of ending the affair completely. Yeah, and I find that when you talk to men in this regard, um, especially if a child is involved in the affair, uh, they tend to, they tend to say, well, you know, if I I, I do this, uh, I might, you know, it's my child. Uh, I can, you know, she still needs me. I may, maybe I maybe guilt that I took advantage of her, and that um, I don't want to hurt her. Well, would you rather hurt your wife than hurt her? Hmm. I mean, you created the problem. Hurt is involved in it anyway. The important thing is to rebuild the relationship with your wife, and uh, you still have responsibility towards the person if there's a child involved. But the complete severance of relationship is mandatory uh, if you're going to have uh, any kind of restoration. The other thing uh, would be to take complete responsibility for the affair. The tendency uh, is to try to find some underlying issue with your partner that kind of pushed you or forced you into the affair. And 
it would be a tendency to try to bring this up. Well, if you had done this or if you had responded this way, I would not have found myself in this situation. That's not, that's not going to be building a relationship at all. You've got to accept complete responsibility because you made a choice, you made a decision, it was your action, and you've got to avoid this blaming game of trying to find an excuse as to why you did what you did. Accept full responsibility. Uh, there's time to, when you review the relationship between you and your wife, to perhaps look at some things that we should have solved. But this is not the time to be trying to blame her and uh, uh, point out her deficiencies and therefore push you over the edge and you went in this direction. Be a man. Uh, just admit the full responsibility. The other thing is, third thing I would suggest, that you try to empathize uh, with your wife. What I mean by that is, uh, your wife will have many reactions towards you. She would be angry, sometimes she'd be silent, sometimes she'd have a, um, moments of crying, uh, sometimes um, she would be shouting at you, and of course, in most cases, she's going to shut shop with you, and so on and so forth. The tendency there uh, is that you want to hit back, uh, but my suggestion to you, try to empathize with her and try to understand how betrayal feels. Reverse the table and put yourself in her position. Understand how she would feel, how you would feel if it was her that had committed the infidelity. What I'm saying to you is what is needed is an empathetic understanding of her uh, where you try to um, um, understand her feelings uh, and show her compassion, uh, uh, etc. Experts say that the number one indicator of whether a broken relationship uh, that's caused by fear is going to be successful and restored is dependent on the level of empathy that the guilty party shows towards the one who is faithful. That's the key. Interesting. Very, very key. Uh, so, most likely you want to defend yourself. Uh, most likely you want to point out, uh, fight back and point out different things, but you need to validate her pain uh, be as empathetic as possible. And this is crucial. Whether your marriage is going to be restored is dependent on how empathetic you are towards her in dealing with the pain. Um, the other thing is um, recommit yourself to the marriage. And what I mean by that is express and clarify to her that you are intend to do whatever it will take for you to uh, ensure that this marriage survives. Uh, your trust has been broken, and you now need to rebuild that trust, and you need to take proactive steps to do that. And you need to come to her and say, listen, hon, I am at fault. I take full responsibility. Uh, I know this thing is pain in you. I, 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 I'm sorry I caused this pain. I'll try to do everything to ease this pain in your life. And um, I want you to know that I want this marriage to work. I want it to be restored, and I am going to do everything that's required of me that you feel I need to do to try to make this marriage work. And then number five, um, try to be completely honest with her and be transparent with her. Um, again, as she, you try to rebuild trust. If you say that you've broken off the relationship, don't wait for her to ask you, did the lady call? Even though you've broken off your relationship with a person or whatever, if they did call, you give her a heads up first before she finds out that the person called you didn't tell her because you already said it's over. It's better you be that upright with her and very transparent with her. And this would help, um, definitely to help her to uh, want to move in the direction of restoration. 
Uh, I mentioned before, and let me mention again, in sharing with her the details of the situation, because you're the guilty person, she's going to be asking you questions. Try to be as honest as possible, but again, uh, avoid those images that uh, could be so devastating to her while you're sharing uh, about uh, the, the affair that went on between you. Then the other one is seek help from God. Uh, to heal your heart. And this is going to be a very difficult because even though she's going through pain and anguish, you yourself also, if you've got the, uh, if you're a Christian and you've got a sense of conscience, conscious where you're guilt, you're going to feel guilt, you're going to feel shame. Sometimes you feel so unworthy that you've betrayed her trust. Uh, the embarrassment of other people knowing that you have uh, gone this act. You feel like a failure as a man that you could make your marriage work and how it's going to affect your family. And then they might develop a sense of complete disgust with yourself. You need to once again um, get uh, before God and try to rebuild a relationship with Him. And I would suggest to you that one of the great things to do is read Psalm 51. Uh, see how David was devastated. Uh, because sometimes you feel as though in that moment God has abandoned you why has all of this happened to your marriage you need to be be given hope and there's no greater psalm than that one Psalm 51 where David uh, committed adultery with uh, Bathsheba and uh, you see the brokenness of David and how he worked his way back up to faith and trust in God the other thing that would help you as well if you feel that you're hopeless is study the life of Manasseh now, you read his life. I mean, Manasseh did every kind of evil that you can imagine, and then when he turned to the Lord, the Lord still forgave him. I mean, even idolatry and offering children to the fire, when he repented and came back to God, uh, God was willing to forgive Manasseh. And you need to be given hope that no matter what has happened, all the betrayal that you've done, that God still loves you, God still cares about you, and that God is still willing to forgive you. The other thing, the last thing I would suggest to the person who is guilty is try to express your gratitude to your wife that she is giving you a second chance to work on this matter. She has chosen to fight with you to help save the marriage. This is a personal sacrifice on her part. Uh, and uh, somehow try to express your thanks to her and your appreciation that um, she still is, is willing to forgive and to move on and to try to make the marriage successful. So that encourages her to hear you saying to her, "Hun, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, I, I, I just am overwhelmed by your generosity and your kindness and your love. And, uh, you know, I am so thankful that you're prepared to work with me to try to restore this marriage. Now, listen, your marriage, your, your infidelity was sent shockwaves to your marriage for months and for weeks and for years but it is possible to rebuild your marriage and it can become a powerful testimony of the grace of God working in, in, a, in a, a couple's life to restore uh, a marriage that had gone through such devastation Isaiah chapter 43 verse 19 saying that God can make a way through the wilderness this is your wilderness and I am saying to you that there's hope because you serve a great big God and the two of you can work together to patch this thing up and have a successful marriage. Pastor, for the couple who is listening and is trying to overcome a recent affair that has come to light, can they do it themselves and with the help of uh, Scripture? Or would you advise that from the very beginning they go ahead and get someone that they trust to counsel them? I think it depends on the relationship. 
Had, do they have a method of dealing with issues? Um, how do they deal with conflict in the past? Have they got experience where they face issues and been able to resolve issues because they've got some kind of a system to work or anything? If, they, it's not, if they've never had a system of problem solving, uh, this is going to be too devastating, I think, for them to try to do this together. And I would recommend, depending on the maturity of the couple, depending on whether they have a system of, of conflict management, how they deal with the issues in the past, uh, if they've got those things in place, they might want to keep this thing within a very close circle. Uh, I, I keep reminding people that your friend today is your enemy tomorrow. Mm. And a lot of things that you share with people, some has a way of getting out. So keep your dirty linen within the family circle as, as, as much as possible. But if you don't think you can manage it, uh, find someone that is going to be an objective person and who has got some experience in dealing with these matters and who can give you good counsel and good advice. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. The voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. Are you enjoying his teaching and the style and the way that he is going back to Scripture? Let me encourage you to visit Grace Baptist Church. It is located in Gambles Terrace, Antigua, and you can visit. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. The morning worship service is at 10 a.m. Evening worship service is at 7 p.m. And Thursday evening at 7 p.m. There's an alternating prayer and Bible study service. Again, that is Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Do you have a topic that you would like to suggest? You would like to hear Pastor Murphy discuss on a future episode of That's Truth? Send us a WhatsApp or text to one 268 782 Pastor, you've referenced a couple of times this evening forgiveness and the importance and the role of forgiveness. How in the world do I go about seeking forgiveness? Well, I would like to say to all couples that are listening, every individual that's listening, uh, you're not going to have a perfect marriage, and you've got to realize that at some point in time you're going to experience conflict in in your marriage, and you're going to get times when individuals get hurt. Sometimes these are minor things like forgetting to your wife's birthday or your anniversary. Well, that might be a minor thing if it was a big thing for her. But the other more things, I mean, it sometimes involves the infidelity we're talking about. Sometimes there's to be some addiction or some abusive thing going on in the, in the relationship. What I'm saying to you is that you always must understand as long as we're on planet Earth and we're in this flesh, we're going to have problems. We've got to learn that uh, the only way to resolve problems uh, is to seek, confess, and seek forgiveness. And um, forgiveness is, is not... Uh, pretending that the thing didn't happen and ignoring that it, it, it took place uh, and wishing that maybe, um, you know, it wasn't so. Forgiveness is not just being a martyr, uh, pretending and ignoring the event that took place in your life. Uh, you've got to understand that forgiveness involves the image of confronting so you can bring about uh, reconciliation. Let me just suggest um, um, when you're seeking forgiveness some things that you need to do. First of all, you need to admit that what you did is wrong or hurtful. It has to start with admission. Uh, if you want forgiveness, it's no use trying to find excuses. Uh, and that, that, you know, we're always trying to cover up. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, 
uh, chapter 3, you find that for the very beginning, when man first sinned, it's all about covering up. Find us a scapegoat. He's not prepared to say, I did this. Uh, for some reason, we have this inclination to try to cover up. You don't want that. When you come, you've got to admit that you did what is wrong and what is hurt. Try to understand and empathize with the pain that you cause of what you did. Try, try at least to put yourself in that situation and reverse the roles that I mentioned before and see exactly what kind of pain that person would feel if you were in that position. That's the way you develop empathy. Uh, that's the way that you begin to really, really grasp the depth of the issue and the uh, dire consequences that were created as a result of whatever you've done. So admit that you uh, you did wrong or whatever you hurt is. Try to understand and empathize uh, with the pain you cause. Take responsibility for your actions and make restitution wherever necessary. Um, oh, okay, sorry. I make restitution. So you, you're taking res- full responsibility at what I did. I, I did it. And um, what do I need to do now to rectify it? Uh, do I need to return something to somebody I took? Do I, do I need to apologize to somebody? As I'm saying, uh, fourthly, assure your partner that you will not do it again. In other words, they need to be assured that if you're seeking forgiveness for something, this is not something that you're going to be uh, nonchalant about. And uh, I, she needs to hear, or he needs to hear. Well, look, you know, I've done this, but I have no intention, uh, uh, you know, and I will resolve that I will not go this direction and do this thing, and then. Apologize and ask for forgiveness. Uh, and by the way, um, don't say you're sorry. What does sorry mean? Right? Uh, you need to uh, ventilate exactly what you did. I am sorry that I misled you. I'm sorry that I lied to you. I'm sorry that I betrayed you. I'm sorry that I uh, got involved in an affair. I'm sorry that uh, I took money from the account and I did not report that to you. Uh, I'm sorry that I bought her a gift. That, you know, be very, very specific. Uh, it's very difficult. Sorry is a word that you keep repeating all the time, but sorry covers many areas. But when you've got to keep, uh, it's like a person who offends you and they come back and tell you they're sorry and offend you again and keep on saying they're sorry. If you're more specific, say, well, I'm. So- what are you sorry for? Uh, it is. It is. It is something about having to repeat the same thing I've done over and over again that it is going to cause me to want to desist from doing what I'm doing. And then, number six, forgive yourself. It's so easy sometimes, uh, so difficult. Uh, somebody said, well, I forgive you. I'm so, I, yeah, I accept you. For, but for, to forgive yourself, you blame yourself. Uh, and it's very, very possible that you can be harder on yourself than other people are, even the one that you committed offense, because uh, you feel as though you are a fake, you feel as though you're, you're dishonest, and the, the enemy will try to uh, undermine your value and your and your sense of worth. So you've got to come to the point where you understand that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins as a cleanser from all unrighteousness. So when we confess to God and we are forgiven, and that other person is willing to forgive, let us accept God's forgiveness and move on. Don't let the enemy keep going in and bring up the skeletons again so that it, uh, you, you don't enjoy your peace and you always live in, in a tense situation wondering, did God forgive me? Uh, so does it admit that you did wrong or hurtful? Uh, try to understand and empathize with the pain that you caused a person. Take full respect responsibility for your actions. If you need to make restitution, make restitution. Assure your partner that you will not do it again. Apologize and ask forgiveness. And then learn to forgive yourself. And again, I repeat, Psalm chapter 51 is one of those chapters that is a treasure. Uh, Not 
to encourage you to do wrong, but a treasure of how brokenness and how to bring your way back to God and to get reassurance that God is there, He's willing to forgive. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in. It says, Good night. Your program is always so interesting. Keep up the good work for the Lord. Don't you think both husband and wife should have free access to each other's phone? If not, it can cause doubt. What are your thoughts on that, Pastor? I am a transparent person. I think our church knows that I'm too transparent sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe there should be no secrets between a husband and a wife. Um, yeah. My wife could pick up my phone any day. My wife has access to my computer. I have access to her computer, uh, although I've never wanted to see it. If I want to see it, I can do that. Uh, look, I, I don't know why we are so... Um, we like to cover so much and so secretive. God sees everything. That's that's my view of life. God sees everything. There's nothing I am doing that God doesn't see. So I, I want to be as transparent as possible. And if I have my wife, that's my phone. You, you can use my phone. You can go to my phone. You can check my phone. Now, when you have that kind of transparency and honesty, you have a relationship that's going to blossom. Yeah. But if you've got this kind of, well, don't trouble my phone, you know. Uh, when I'm going to look at the computer, uh, well, let, let me let me do something first. There's always questions that are raised. You should not be doing anything on the phone or on the computer that you have to somehow hit the button so your wife doesn't see what you're doing. Uh, keep your relationship open. Um, look, even your financial records, uh, your wife should have, have access to your bank account. Uh, uh, I don't think there should be any area. You know, look, it's interesting in the book of Genesis, talking about marriage, it said that the man and wife was naked. Look, can you think if a man and wife is naked, okay, can you think of anything more transparent than that? No. So just why why should why should we want to hide the, the phone and, and hide what's on the on the computer? So I endorse exactly what the caller is uh, saying, and I really believe that uh, exactly this should be practiced. Uh, nothing should be hidden between the two partners, and this transparency um, creates great trust and confidence in the other person. You're listening to that's truth. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is eight twenty. We still have 40 minutes left in the program. Time for you to send in your question or to call in with your question. If you'd like to be put live on the air, you can call 1-268-462-7420. If you would rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, as you were referencing the steps of seeking forgiveness it seemed to be from one perspective. What about, what are the steps of granting forgiveness for the party, the innocent party, the party that's been wronged? Well, if you're granting forgiveness, um, again, I recommend a few things here. First of all, uh, acknowledge your anger and acknowledge your pain. The person has done something uh, to you. Uh, you are really upset. Um, you might be grieving uh, it might have caused some kind of resentment. Um, you might feel disrespected. Uh, I don't know exactly what particular thing, but the thing has to do that you, you need to acknowledge that. Listen, uh, this is what you've done. And this is how it's affected me. Don't pretend that everything is okay, and don't pretend that um, you're not affected when, in, in truth and fact, you're bleeding below the surface. I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, uh, the other thing it would be be specific about your future expectations 
and whatever limitations. The person has done this. They've asked for forgiveness. You're willing to forgive them. But you need to uh, specify what you expect as a result of uh, your forgiveness. Now, for example, um, we talk about infidelity. We talk about forgiveness, okay? You forgive your partner. Now, what you expect from him in the future. And again, as I have pointed out before, the whole matter now is about rebuilding trust. So you say to him, I expect that when you get to, get, to, get to work, you call me. I expect when you leave work, you call me. I expect if you're going out with any other person uh, that is not, that's not a same-sex person, etc., that you, you call me, inform me. No, you, I, that's what I expect you to do until this trust is rebuilt. So be very, very clear what I expect. I'm forgiving you for this, but in the future, listen, this is what I expect because we have to rebuild trust. Um, give up your right to get even. Uh, but insist on being treated better in the future. Uh, you're forgiving, and uh, to forgive, you know, the, the, the desire to seek revenge, you've got to be willing to surrender that as part of the forgiveness process. Uh, let go of blame and resentment and negativity towards your partner. Uh, if you're forgiving him, uh, try not to keep bringing that up again, you know, uh, uh, and uh, it, it really can drive you crazy that a person said they forgive you, but every time there's a problem, they kind of go back, search back into the files of their memory and bring it up again and toss it out there as well. Uh, so try to deal with that. And then communicate the fact that your, your forgiveness to this person, I've forgiven you. And forgiveness, by the way, means that you're not going to seek revenge. And it also means that you're not, not going to bring this thing up in the past and, and use it as a weapon. Uh, in, in the future. So communicate that to the person and then work towards reconciliation. And what I mean by that is forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. I can forgive you but still not be reconciled to you. Reconciliation is when we restore a friendship. Right? Uh, so I can say to you, man, I forgive but I never have anything to do with you again or something like that. Uh, you're forgiven uh, the person and now try to build the point where you become friends again and it becomes a very close relationship. I think those uh, six things would be very helpful to those who uh, want to grant forgiveness. You referenced earlier when I was asking about whether a couple should go ahead and seek a counselor immediately as soon as they are attempting to resolve uh, the hurt from a from an extramarital affair. You reference the importance of whether or not they are mature in resolving their conflicts. What is the proper way to resolve conflict? I'm going to suggest a, a method that um, is not original. Uh, by the way, most of what I give you is not original. Most of what I do of study, of research, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would, and this is something I give to couples, by the way, uh, when I'm counseling couples, uh, a method of resolving issues and, and conflict that they have among themselves. Uh, this is what I suggest. The first thing I would suggest is that if you're going to try to solve the problem, set a time and a place to discuss the problem. May I suggest to you ladies, the time for solving a problem is not to discuss it in the bedroom at nights. A man in which doesn't want to talk of these kind of things. This is this is not the time and the place to want to raise issues and discuss problems during the day, or something you're concerned about. So find a set time and a place uh, where it can be. Number two, try to define the problem and be as specific as possible. Sometimes the problem is so vague that you're discussing a matter, but you're not too sure what the real issue is. Try to define it in a very, very specific way. Uh, number three, 
list the ways in which, uh, or discuss the ways in which each of you contributed to the problem. Okay. Um, chances are that if there's a problem on the land problem in a marriage, both parties have somehow helped to contribute towards it. So let's be very, very clear, uh, be very honest. This is why I think I have exacerbated this problem or, or created this problem and the other person well this is this is the way so try to do that um, perhaps look at p- past attempts to resolve the issue uh, if this is not the first time the issue has come up uh, look back on what your past attempts to resolve the issue and if it wasn't successful why it wasn't successful and then n- number five, uh, this is where now if you weren't successful in dealing with the matter before or this is a new matter, try to brainstorm um, how to deal with the, the issue. Now, if it's a clear biblical issue, search the scriptures that relates to the problem. If it's dishonesty, infidelity, um, uh, it has to do with uh, abuse, whatever it is, there, there are some biblical guidelines that you can find there, so searching the scriptures together to find answers would be there. But if it is a matter of finances or uh, some other problem that there's not a clear biblical principle that stands out, try to brainstorm and try to come up with solutions. What, what, how, how can we solve this problem? Um, it's a mortgage, it's buying something, and uh, you know, the, you're trying to see how you can do that. Well, how, how are the possible ways that, that we can, we can um, deal with this problem? Um, those matters that you say, this is how we can do one, two, three, four, five, then try, e- try to evaluate each one of those possible solutions that you thought about and uh, s- see how best whatever solution you come up with out of those things that you've uh, picked out, you brainstorm, you've come up with five, okay, we can solve it, one, two, three, four, five, six ways. Uh, examine each one of those and see which of those are in harmony with the biblical principle that you're aware of. What you want to do as a Christian is to try to understand that the Bible has the answers. There is not a problem that you and I will ever face in life that is not a biblical principle that has some bearing on that particular matter. Uh, You read Timothy where Paul says that the Word of God is... um, um, It enables the man to um, be perfect in all of his ways. Um, and it talks very, very clearly. It's good for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So clearly, the Bible has a principle that's involved in whatever problem. I can't think of a problem right now that we are faced on planet Earth that is not some kind, whether it be war, whether it be abortion, whether it be same-sex marriage, whether it be the gender issue. There is a biblical principle that is there. There's not an exhaustive answer because you know, there's some things that um, back in those days they didn't have those. But the God made sure they gave us the word that there's not a problem we will ever face that is not some biblical principle that would, would help us to find a solution. So you set a time and a place for, the, uh, for dealing with the matter. You define the problem. You list ways each of you contributed to the problem. Uh, you, list, you look at past ways you attempted to resolve the problem. Uh, if you were able to be successful, why you fail in that matter? Then brainstorm. Okay, we tried it this way. Let's brainstorm uh, how we're going to deal with it. Discuss and evaluate whatever suggestions each person has made. See which eva- which um, solution uh, is best fits in with some biblical principle. Then agree on the one solution to the problem. Um, uh, agree. Uh, you've looked at it and. This is a biblical principle here, et cetera, et cetera. Agree on the one solution. And then uh, agree how each person now 
will work towards this solution. Uh, what will I do? What will you do? Let me just say this. Sitting and talking is, is never enough in any counseling session or any dealing with any matter. There has to be some practical things that has to follow as a result of your conclusions. So whatever decision you made is what needs to be done, uh, then you need to ask, now, how, how, what, what, what's my part in this? How, what do I need to get? How, what's your part in it? So that we're working collectively to resolve the problem. Then... Um, you put, go to work on that matter, then set up another meeting to discuss your progress. Uh, have, we, have we made any progress towards dealing with the matter? Uh, don't wait until six months down the line and it's not been working or whatever isn't happening. One person is delinquent in fulfilling his responsibilities, so the problem becomes more complicated. Uh, try to meet and discuss the problem. And then, if the problem has already been solved, reward each other for the progress and for the success. That may be a night out, that may be um, uh, something, a new gift, a small gift, but uh, just enjoy the pleasure of having resolved a problem and uh, reward is in order. Whatever reward you, you, you guys feel to reward each other with, uh, but the reward is, is very, very significant as well. You're listening to That's Truth, live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time is 8.31 on this Tuesday evening. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Maybe you've been asked a difficult question recently, and you didn't have a complete answer or what you felt was a complete appropriate answer for the individual who asked it, and you'd like Pastor Murphy to help answer it from the Bible. Give us a call or send us a message. You can send your WhatsApp or text message to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can call us and put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. For those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, welcome and thank you for joining us. If you're listening on AM or on FM or on our website, www.radiolighthouse.org, thanks for listening, and we really appreciate you being part of the discussion this evening. Pastor, something you mentioned last evening or last week when you were talking about restoring a relationship or a marriage that really has stuck with me throughout the week is you don't work on feelings you change behaviors and feelings will follow. And that's so simplistic that it, it, I, it's just stuck in my mind that uh, sometimes things seem overwhelming, but you just change your, work on changing your behaviors and the feelings will follow. Nathan, I, I meet people all the time that they've been drained to the point they've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and they say, listen, it's no use trying anymore. Uh, and... Uh, you know, this, the principle I mentioned there, by the way, is a principle that uh, Dr. J. Adams, in his book, Competent to Counsel, and okay. the Christian Counsel Manual, he brought that out as a principle, and I, I grasped it as well. And it's such a profound principle. Uh, and, and again, he used the Cain example when the Lord said to Cain, you do right and you'll feel right. Your, your, your countenance will change. And I, 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 it's such a profound truth because if that were not true, I don't know how we would ever... Feelings are not something you can touch you can you can work you can't you can't give a um, medication to feelings mm. you can't talk to feelings and the, the brilliance of the way God has made us and we all know this that when people's attitude and behavior change towards us our feelings change 
there's no question about that across the board. So when a person, a, a couple have broken down and there's no longer any feelings, you give them hope because I can guarantee that if the partners work on changing behavior and attitude, I have no doubt in my mind that those feelings would regenerate because that is how the Creator made us. He knew we can't deal with feelings directly, and He created a way to deal with feelings through our actions, through our attitude. And I wish people would get hold of this and understand. But you see, the problem is that we live in an age where the church has been psychologized, and I keep repeating that. Uh, our pastors go off to colleges and they come back being counselors. Not counselors that are biblicists that would take Bible principles. And may I say to those who are involved in the counseling ministry uh, that are being sucked into this psychological thing, modern psychology cannot help us because it is based on a false anthropology. And what I mean by that is they do not understand man. All modern psychologists do not believe in a creator. They don't believe they believe in evolution. So they have no idea of how man is made by God. The Bible tells us how man is made by God, that man has a conscious, man has these desires. Freud came up with the id, the ego, and the superego. That's not in scripture. But I can see where he got those terms from because the id has to do with your evil desires. That's the Bible called your lust. Okay? Your ego is your, your, your person, your person, and you, your superego is your conscience. All he did is to take terms and gave them those terms, but in truth of the fact, you do have those desires, those evil desires. You do have a conscience, which is your superego, and you do have your ego as your personality. So I am just saying to people, let's get back to the book, because the Bible has the answers and will help us. Uh, God is the creator. He knows how he made man. He knows exactly how we can be changed and be transformed. And the sooner we start putting back these biblical principles into our, into, our, into our counseling process, we'll be able to help many more people than to use Freud or Watson or Skinner or any one of these guys or Maslow. Uh, these guys are just speaking from a secular view, and they don't have an understanding of biblical anthropology, how God has made us. Pastor, can you speak for a couple of minutes on the guidelines or maybe some warnings that you would have for pastors or for those who are listening who may end up providing counsel for couples who have dealt with an affair? Let me uh, speak to pastors who might be listening uh, tonight who would like to take on the challenge of trying to help people. Uh, I would like to just mention a few things. The first thing I would like to make you aware of, that counseling couples with affairs is emotionally draining. If you're not prepared to spend time, I mean time, quality time, to help to deal with the problem, don't get involved. Please don't get involved. It will drain you because listening is one of the most difficult tasks of counseling and uh, it requires just letting the person spit out everything. You spit it out and you just keep listening and listening. As much as possible, try not to intervene and to let let everything flow. So I'm saying to you, it's emotionally draining and it requires lots of time. If you are a pastor and you're worth your salt as a pastor, you should be willing to spend the amount of time that's required to try to bring about the healing of the marriage. Secondly, keep in mind that each partner is going to try to influence you to pick their side and to ignore uh, vital facts and information. Uh, you have got to be as totally objective as possible. Uh, if uh, one of the partners feel that you're subjective and you're taking sides, the counseling process is virtually over. Uh, 
Um, now, I know that when you hear one side of the story, you might be leaning towards one person. And very often you have formulated in your mind, this is the situation. You need to hear the other side of the story, and very often they bring you back to the middle so you begin to understand what is happening. So never go into a situation where you already think you know what is there unless you speak to the two persons individually to get both sides. Um, third thing, your own unresolved family issues can affect your con- the effect of your counseling with a person who's going through an affairs. You're very much aware of that. So what do you mean by that? Let's suppose that this, the problem that the person is having, uh, you're having a similar problem, okay? Uh, let's suppose that you yourself have had an affair, but your wife doesn't know about it, and you're trying to counsel this. All of that is going to color your capacity to handle this situation. So just be aware. Uh, the other thing is maybe the person comes with financial problems, but you're having financial problems, you haven't been dealing with them as well. I'm making that you're aware that there's something that you may have to forego and maybe recommend to another person. If You don't have to say that I'm having the same problem, but you could say, listen, I think this person is better able to handle it uh, without going into details as to why. But don't try to resolve a problem with somebody else that you haven't resolved because you're going to make a mess of the whole situation. So try to, to, to be aware of that. Um, Try to gather as much data as possible. And I don't know how pastors counsel, but normally you have some kind of a data gathering uh, form that you should give to the person uh, that it should be filled out before you attempt the counseling. And try to be as extensive as possible. The form that I normally give out uh, covers uh, family background. Um, It it covers um, such things as how your dad disciplined you, um, you know, was there any abuse in the family before? I want to have an idea of you, what, you're, what the family you're coming out of. There's a section that also deals with your your um, your marriage uh, history. There's history about your your um, your your um, um, sexual relationship with other people, especially if you're dealing with uh, such things as infidelity. It'd be interesting to find out um, some history along that line. Maybe you've not been an infidel before, but your past um, sexual exploits can help to explain why you're pushed in this direction. So I have a se- the section also deals with your your personality, asking certain basic questions that you try to find out uh, about the character of the person, and then. Uh, there's a section also deal with your your own spiritual life. I want to know if you read the Bible, if you have devotions. I want to know if you pray. Well, those kind of things. That can tell me a lot about about what's going on in the marriage. I might be dealing with something here, but really, you need some help in all of these different areas. So, um, infidelity may be a symptom of something that's been going on in the marriage, and maybe there's no, no nothing really in the marriage. Marriage is just a a shell, basically. And then I do have a section as well uh, where people uh, has to do with uh, finding out if people are involved in the occult or involved in um, any of these different movements. I need to find that out because this is far more common in Antigua, involving uh, occult and involving uh, spiritism and so on. I am shocked that it is far more common than people think. So I need to find out uh, those kind of things. But you need to have information gathering uh, sheet. Then um, try to get them together and try to let them talk out their feelings. Um, I normally would ask the wife uh, to talk first. Uh, 
And I would ask the gentleman. It's constructive to talk about feelings. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> the reason for that is that whether we know it or not, females are generally they're very emotional. Men, uh, and this is not, I mean, this is just a fact. Men are far more rational. It doesn't mean that women are not rational, but sometimes their feelings get involved in that matter. I uh, hear a couple of ladies that just turn the radio off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they probably would do that, but if they're honest with themselves, uh, I think they realize that uh, really, in truth, that feelings have a lot to do with them. Uh, and the problem with that, their feelings interfere with everything else. So if I have a problem with my wife about this particular thing, uh, and she has bad feelings about that particular thing. The trouble is that those feelings for that particular thing carries over into other things. You know, it's not about this one thing any longer. Uh, that's the way, w- way women are, and, and so on. Sometimes we men may be too logical, and we need more feelings. <laughs> but it, the thing is to get them to download and get him to listen. I don't want him interrupting her. She might say the worst things. I don't want him just listen. Just listen. I'm, by the way, I always request from the person that I take notes. I don't trust my memory. And after I've done the, whatever the counseling is, is all over, I could I say, listen, if you want the notes, you can take the notes, you can destroy the notes. Uh, because people don't want to keep things on files, that right. information. Something could happen, somebody's cleaning, they go into the cabinet, they see confidential, and they peruse them, and then they get information that should not be there. Uh, so you've got to be very, very careful with that. But you can reassure them that you're taking notes, get permission, and let them know that after the whole counseling process is over, uh, you can either destroy the notes in front of them, or you can give them the package and let them destroy it, deal with confidentiality. But I think it's important and uh, that the person say whatever they want to say. I am not surprised about anything anybody says any longer. I'm a past long enough. Nothing surprises me any longer. Uh, if a man came in the all the time, he just killed his wife or something like that, I, I might be shocked for a little while, but uh, you know, it's, 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 the reality is that uh, you don't expect certain things, and then you reach a point where you become immune because you've seen so much and heard so much that you're not troubled any longer. And then after she has ventilated whatever it is, and I, mean, I, I now give him a chance, and she must now listen, and she must not interrupt again, and again I take my notes, whatever it is. The reason for that is to get everything in the open. Tidbit, tidbit here, little drip here, little drip here. It prolongs the counseling session for weeks or for months when you can get everything as much as possible open. doesn't mean you're not going to come back and deal with tidbits and so on, but it's better to get everything as off your chest, first of all. Then she says a little bit here, he says a little bit here, and then it goes on and he's back and forth, back and forth. Let's hear the whole story and get that out of the way. Um, limit the discussion, if you're dealing with the affair, to the affair, uh, first of all, try to deal with that, right? The other things that you would pick up that she has downloaded, you can begin to deal with that over a period. But remember, the main reason to come for you is to deal with your fear. Uh, so try to, to deal with that. Um, while you're dealing with that, try to identify any other problems that out of the, the, the conversation that you pick up, that you put a note here, I need to deal with this. Maybe they're not having family divorce. Maybe not. What I, I take a note of that. I need to deal with that, but merely, okay? Um... Let them um, try to reverse roles. Uh, I mentioned that in, in the uh, we were talking a moment ago. Uh, trying to ask him to put himself in her position and he in the other position. Uh, ask each other what is needed to rebuild the marriage and rebuild trust. 
hear from him, from her. If one is a guilty person, let the uh, the person who's innocent say to the other, this is what, I, I said, well, what, what will it take now to rebuild this marriage? How can we restore this marriage? Let her talk about what would be required if this marriage is going to be rebuilt, right? Uh, that's very, very important for him to hear that because um, he needs to make some commitment that he's going to make an effort in that direction. If he's not prepared to make an effort in that direction, he can never have this restoration. Um, um, let them begin to share uh, what behavioral responses could damage the trust uh, if it's going to be restored. In other words, I've met, had situations already where the uh, the restriction was well, you can't pick up anybody in the car. Uh, you can't pick up a, a lady in the car because that's your weakness. Uh, I mean, the wife made that very clear. And is that a fair statement? Of course it is. I mean, if I got a weakness for women, yeah. I mean, I got to be mad if I can think I can just pick a woman up and give her a, a ride in the car. The wife, <coughs> she's aware that my husband, because this had infidelity before, she said, listen, we want to restore this marriage, but we need to rebuild trust. And to, to, to sure that I can trust you, I want you to promise me that you're not going to pick up a female in the vehicle and drop her home, either at work, going to work, whatever. You know, not only female. And then she, somebody calls and says, um, I saw your husband, and I saw this lady in the car. Well, you know what has happened. You're going to start over again now yeah. because you're broken down in trust. Or you're even worse off than uh, you worse, were. Right. So what I'm saying is you uh, let this person, uh, let them, this person what is needed to rebuild. And uh, if this happens, uh, it could damage the possibility of restoration. Let that be very, very, very clear. Uh, help them to develop their communication skills. Because quite frankly, they might be shouting at each other and be very angry at each other. Uh, uh, Deal with the matter of communication. How we, how you're going to talk with each other now, uh, in a, an amicable way, in a friendly way, in a way that does not seem as though they're fighting each other. Try to do that. Um, try to identify if there any other person who's been hurt in this whole process that needs to be apologized to or need to be approached. Right? Um, it could be that. The, your husband has, or your wife has been unfaithful and is involved with your best friend's wife or your best friend's husband. Uh. I mean, that, that happens. <laughs> so, you know, it's not just you revealing your marriage between yourself, but there might need to be some, um, 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 something need to be done that other people got hurt that you might need to go and apologize and, and need to try to, to heal the relationship. So try to do that. Um, uh, then uh, help them to understand the grieving process. In other words, everybody goes through a process when they first have an affair. You, you get you acknowledge that it's there, but then there's grief, and then there's anger. Uh, try to help them understand what is, especially the partner who's who's been guilty. He can't understand why his wife is responding this way. It might be helpful to work, walk, walk through the grieving process when there's infidelity, and there are certain steps that a person goes through during that process of infidelity, so that he becomes very clear. This is not strange for my wife. This is how it normally happens, uh, so that that helps him with clarity. Um, if you know of a, a, a couple. Um, who has been successful 
in bringing their marriage back from the brink of disaster out of uh, uh, infidelity. And they have been able to work their way through the process of full restoration. It might be helpful to use them as a reference point uh, that you could probably put that person in contact with that couple so that while they're going through this recovery process that they're there as a, a senior mentoring couple uh, to, to help them go, go through it rather than having to face it on its own. Chances are, as a pastor, you've been that route. The person who's been that route uh, probably knows some things that you yourself don't even know. And knowledge doesn't end with a pastor. But you, the good thing is to have resource personnel who have been that route that you can re- refer to. I think it's important to do that. Here's another thing, Nathan. If you, the person you're involved in, suppose you're going to church and the couple is going to church and the person they got involved with the affair is in the same church. Okay. Makes for a messy situation. It is useful to suggest that one of the couples change churches. It's difficult that every time you walk in there, it's like uh, being reminded every time. And uh, so you might find it's a very strange relationship between you're seeing it, you know that's the person. It might recommend that the person join another church, another similar church, and move on, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, that doesn't mean that you, you have to give the reason. Uh, if it is between the couples, try to keep that very close. But it might be wise to suggest to the person, listen, uh, this is a very, very volatile situation. It's not leading to any harmony, and uh, it's creating ill will feelings. Um, you know, I might suggest that you um, consider going to another church. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come in from Antigua. Pastor, should we call pastors father? Because in the Old Testament, they called Abraham father. I think there's a clear, I, I can't give you the verse right now, I can pick it up, but I, I think there's a verse in Scripture where our Lord says that you shouldn't let any man call you father. Um, this is an art, this has to be some person who is either Catholic or Anglican, etc. Uh, we don't think, look, there's only one person that we call father, that's God the Father. I can call my earthly father, father, but I don't need to call a pastor or, 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 or thing father. If he's a priest, he's a priest. If he's a pastor, he's a pastor. Uh, there's no need to call him father. Uh, I would not recommend that that be done. Uh, if you're filling the biblical rule, read, uh, I think it's in, in the Beatitudes that he said that. Uh, and I don't see the reason for calling him uh, father. Now, a person might have led you to Christ, and in a sense, uh, Paul talked about Timothy, my son, in that sense. But the the the, the idea of um, using that term, uh, I just think that it's not a proper term to use. I think better to say, you know, he's my. If you said my father in the faith or something like that, but. I would reserve that to my earthly father and to my heavenly father. Now, follow up for that. If we can address each other in church as brother and sister, why can't we address women as mothers? Uh, <laughs> again, I, I'm not too sure it really matters. I just think that um, generally we talk sisters, that covers mothers. When I call a sister, my sister is not just a, uh, a minor, it's not just a teenager, it's not just a youth. Uh, when I meet an adult lady, I say sister so-and-so, sister sister Sandy, uh, yeah. so sister Laroma. I mean, uh, so we do, but uh, I just think it's a custom. 
brethren and sisters, and I, I, I know, I'm not sure I'll be adverse. Uh, if I said this is my mother in the faith, uh, but generally speaking, uh, we only refer to our earthly mothers. Look, these are not terribly, these are not theological issues of any major significance. I think sometimes a matter of preference and choice. Uh, it's just that we try to get away from the a lot of the, the, the Catholicism that has been there inherent in, 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 in our traditions. Uh, as of course, we coming up the Protestant Reformation, we try as much as possible to wean ourselves away from these kind of practices. But if a person uh, doesn't mean anything um, untoward that is, you know, indicating that spiritual father mean that he's responsible for my spiritual destiny or something, I really wouldn't make a very big issue about it, to be very honest with you. Uh, you're listening to That's Truth. We are finishing up the topic of extramarital affairs, and we have about four minutes left in the program. Pastor? Yeah, let me say one last thing. When you... Um, the person, the couple is now on the road to recovery and they're making um, steady progress, um, you may want to suggest to that couple that they renew their vows either in a private setting or a public setting. Uh, I think that would be a very good public token that, uh, and, and when people see this, especially if people know that the marriage has been through the, the, the rocks and there's been thing, now that is restored, there's nothing more beautiful to have those people recommit themselves. And I keep telling people this, you know, not that we want people to get involved in sin so that they become models of restoration, but uh, it is it, it's, it's so helpful that uh, we have people in our churches or people within not just our necessary in our church, but in our other joint, joint churches that have, the Lord has done great things for them, uh, whether it be restoring them from infidelity, uh, restoring them from a backslidden state. And now these people have become models uh, of what the believers are supposed to be, or family is supposed to be. It's a wonderful thing to be able to see that displayed publicly before other believers. And people look at it and say, you know what? If this could have happened to that couple, there's hope for my marriage and there's hope for me. I think that's a beautiful thing to see how God has brought about healing. And I think we need to be able to point to those people. And what a wonderful thing to see people going through their vows again. And people know where they've been and see that renewed commitment and see that love flush in their face again, displayed in such uh, clarity. I really think that uh, it's a wonderful thing to see and I would encourage people to do that. So I think pastors should encourage them to do some kind of renewal of vows, whether private or public. Pastor, I'm not sure this is a fair question with two minutes left, but how do you breathe new life back into a dead or a dying marriage? That will take some time. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would say uh, to a person that, you know, I'm speaking from a Christian perspective here. Um, I think that you've got to understand that you, prayer has to be part of that. It definitely has to be part of that. And uh, remember that uh, God is the one that designed marriage, and He's the one that um, could handle our pain and our hurt. He's the one that can give us the capacity to forgive. So I think one of the key things here is that you're going to have to pour your heart in prayer, and uh, you find that there's no life in the marriage any longer, there's no spunk in the marriage any longer. Uh, you're going to have to ask God to rekindle this relationship, put the flame back into the marriage. The other thing I think you're going to have to do is, is, is learn to surrender to the fulfillment of God's will. You don't do this because of your partner deserves it. You do it because Christ deserves it. He 
purchased you, he bought you, uh, he surrendered himself for you. And now your concern, I know you're hurt, I know your pain, I know you might even feel you've abused uh, in the process, but I think that you ask God to, in, in prayer to heal the marriage, heal the relationship, and then you surrender to doing his will, doing exactly what he wants you to do. Um, I think that is vitally important. And then the matter of forgiveness, uh, I repeat, uh, you need to come to the point where you are willing of your own free choice uh, to forgive that person. And then what we call agape love. This is what we need, the kind of love that knows the worst in me, but yet chooses to love me. And I think you're going to have to take that same unconditional love that you find in Christ and apply that to your relationship. Not because he deserves it, but because you're looking after his best interest. And I would say to the person, uh, choose hope. Uh, as, a, as a Christian, always see that whatever your problem is, look through the lens of hope. And we have so many reasons for hope. I repeat, we have God the Father in heaven. We got the Word of God that is a guide to us. We got the Son of God who intercedes for us. You got the Spirit of God who indwells us. You have the Christian Church. You have God's salvation. You have a God of hope, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of power, and a God of restoration. Look to Him. Pastor, two things that stuck out to me that I learned as we were talking through this series on extramarital affairs is that most marriages survive an affair, and that's a reason for hope. If you are have had an affair in your marriage, there is hope. And again, you don't work on feelings. You change behavior, and the feelings will follow. Be sure you join us next week. For another episode of That's Truth, we're going to be discussing the drug problem and its damaging effects on society. Thank you for joining us tonight for That's Truth. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.